Hey, everybody. Uh, excited to join you again this week. I've got Tracy Thane with me. Uh, if you don't know Tracy, you're missing out. Uh, Tracy is one of my favorite people and, uh, you know, really was influential in my career. So brilliant marketer, great person, uh, a lot of fun to, to be around and get to know. And, and so I encourage you, if you, if you're, if you don't know Tracy, go follow him, go connect with him on LinkedIn because uh, just tons of brilliance coming out of him, but also like go grab a drink with Tracy because he's a lot of, so uh, Tracy and I are going to dive into all things demand gen, um, trends, all of that stuff. But first off, Tracy, how you been? How are things? Oh, hey, things are great. Um, hey, that picture behind you, I recognize that. I'm a Yankees fan, Travis. Red Sox fan. But you know what, Travis, um, back in November, um, I actually was able to take a very in-depth tour of that stadium right there. And it was amazing. And it converted you, I'm sure. Like you realized yeah, that still you're in your ways and now you're going to be a Red Sox fan, right? I, I actually have a brand new appreciation for the Red Sox and especially their fans. I mean, that stadium is incredible, the history of that stadium. If you don't know it, you should go take a tour. It's, it's a fun place to watch a baseball game, I will say. My, my dream. So I watched Yankees Red Sox on the 4th of July at old Yankees Stadium, like the last year that it was around. My dream is to watch Yankees Red Sox at Fenway someday. Hasn't happened yet, but I've got family there. So uh, yeah. fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Well, when you do it, take me with you and then protect me because I'll be in full Yankees regalia. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, they cut, off, they cut off beer sales at like the sixth or seventh inning. You'll be okay. <laughs> Very good. Very good. All right, Tracy. I know we wanted to, uh, you know, make the best use of the time that we have. Um, let's dive into the trends. You know, you've got some thoughts. And, and just so you guys know, Tracy has worked as a marketing executive in-house, client-side, agency, um, you know, consulting. He's got a lot of experience everywhere. Um, so, you know, currently you're, you're in the trenches. You're, you're working with really good clients. Um, tell, us, tell us what, from your perspective, demand gen professional, what's going to happen? What do, what do marketers need to be watching out for, you know, over the next six months? Yeah, you know, Travis, this is a good point. I haven't really uh, described what it is I'm doing these days. Um, I work for an incredible um, consultancy. Um, we are DemandSpring, and DemandSpring, we work with some of the greatest brands out there. Um, I really enjoy my time. I'm on the client side. I'm responsible for all uh, strategy services that we um, work with our clients on. Um, so I get to work with I mean, some incredible clients. We we work with Fidelity, uh, Boston Consulting Group, and, you know, just to name a couple, just really wonderful clients. Um, on the client delivery side, you know, we are always in there looking at what their, um, uh, what their objectives are, what their opportunities are. And I'd say in 2022, there was a lot of focus around account-based execution. Now, I'm sort of an ABM purist, so... Um, I, I like to kind of maybe talk about it more about account-based execution because, you know, ABM has so many layers to it these days, you know, it can be defined in so many ways, um, but, you know, account-based execution has really become important, right? Because, and I think it has a lot to do with how um, the world um, is just inundated with content uh, campaigns from 
everywhere. You know, it's all coming at you. And so I think the pendulum, you know, we talked about the pendulum a little bit um, on another conversation you and I had, uh, but that pendulum, it, you know, swung way over. Um, a lot of technology has enabled us to throw a lot of messages in market. And uh, I think that there's, you know, clients are a little bit tired of all of that. You know, there's some fatigue involved for sure. And so that account-based execution brings back into play this relationship side of engagement. Yeah, it seems like for every swing of that pendulum, there's an opportunity on the opposite side. When everybody's doing all automation or whatever, you know, there's an opportunity for the more authentic uh, communication. So big. Yeah. Big yeah, definitely. And, you know, when I think about a lot of times I, I hear people referring to ABM, I kind of refer it to more ABX or account-based execution because, you know, when you get in and really define those bespoke plays that are intended for, you know, very targeted account, there is account-based execution happening cross-functionally in order to support that engagement and to, and to deliver a very authentic, um, I guess, experience in growing your relationships inside of an account. Yeah, it doesn't work if it's just marketing. It has to be aligned. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I even, you know, to that point, you know, I think the biggest failure of account-based execution today is um, just organizations not really, um, I guess, collaborating and building out bespoke plays. So, uh, and I guess this is where I get into that, you know, I'm a purist, right? Because you hear a lot of people talking about one-to-many, one-to-few, and one-to-one. And though I believe in all of that, like there is a relationship between all of those, um, we should already be doing one-to-many very well, right? Because that's, to me, that's the core of demand generation nurturing. Um, um, and then, but when you get into that one-to-few and one-to-one, there absolutely needs to be, you know, more account-based execution across functional teams to support those engagements. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what else? What else should we be watching? Uh, yeah, well, I can go on that forever. <laughs> we at DemandSpring, we built, we did some research recently about account-based execution, and you can go to our website and take a look at it. But it's a full report. We, you know, we're able to talk with a lot of different marketers to see how they approach it, and it might be useful to some of those people on, you know, viewing this right now. Cool. Uh, but I'd say another area is really, you know, comes around to data literacy. Um, it's, it's, it's becoming, it's always been important, right? And it's always been something I think marketers have been really working toward in terms of being able to align their business to um, more strategic outcomes, but it's hard. <laughs> it's kind of hard, right? Being data literate. And so um, when we work with our clients, really what we see are all these pockets of data and a lot of that data is being looked at in these silos, but no one's really looking at it holistically very well, though they're really trying to get there. And so I'm seeing a lot of our clients are, are finding um, talent out on the market that really understands data well and can help these marketing teams to interpret that data and really optimize both operationally, how they approach campaigns, as well as strategically how they align to those business imperatives. 
Yeah, that's like such a differentiator for the orgs that get get there, right? When you get there, that's it puts you ahead of so many uh, others because it is hard. It's not easy. Yeah. yeah, and it's hard. And, you know, especially from a marketer's perspective, you know, um, as marketers, I mean, I'm pretty long in the tooth in marketing. I've been here doing it forever. And it used to be that we were the arts and crafts department, right? So being able to shed, you know, shed that perception and position ourselves as, you know, strategic C-suite um, experts has been a little tough, right? And especially because I think a lot of it has to do, Travis, with this idea that um, our, I, I think some of our leadership teams don't really understand that evolution that marketing has gone through, where we are more now kind of the R&D department, not arts and crafts department, right? So we're using technology and data and we're trying to really apply insights to our execution. And, but our senior, a lot of times senior management is still kind of thinking uh, that marketing can move super fast and, you know, we just need this tomorrow and that's the expectation. But when you are working in systems and data, um, it, it really is, there is a, pretty heavy lift and and you have to set things up right so you know I, I think that marketers you know they need more patience from the c-suite they need more understanding from the c-suite so that they can really be better at using data to drive their um, execution yeah and i think that it's so important to to get the the buy-in from the c-suite you have to like keep them in the loop and let them understand those nuances and you know, it's, it's like any uh, professional, we get busy doing our job and we forget that we need to market what we're doing also internally or to clients and that sort of thing. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I know we, we mentioned in a previous conversation, chat GPT, you got some interesting thoughts. I'd love to spend, you know, like how does that affect us over the next six months? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I, we have been playing around with chat GPT in several different ways. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of times you're looking at it with, wow, that can really create a lot of content fast, right? But that's not how we're looking at it because, you know, we think that, you know, no, no matter how good chat GPT gets, it's not going to be able to deliver the level of kind of strategic IP that is needed to execute. And, and then if everyone uses chat GPT for content, then everyone's content's going to look and feel and smell the same, right? Yeah. And so... All it's going to do is to make, I think, engaging buyers even harder, right? Because it's allowing us to really, you know, maybe create an avalanche of content that's just going to, you know, it's just going to fatigue our buyers even further. So the ways that we're looking at ChatGPT are more in being able to do a better job at um, optimizing our search, um, you know, being able to really understand Kind of those long tail uh, terms and 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 keywords that are important to, um, you know, just just continually optimize the way that you're found. Yeah. Um, and I I think the other way that we are starting to use it quite well is in supporting any kind of buyer and customer research. Um, we're able to find information that, you know, otherwise was kind of hidden or difficult to find. Um, so that's been really supportive of some of the initiatives that we've been involved with at DemandSpring. 
it, it is an incredible research tool. Like the amount of data or information that you can get just that fast is, you know, amazing. And, and I know like AI is only going to get better, <laughs> um, but this is like, this is a, impressive at this point, but I love that take on it. Like we need to use it for the research side more than, than delivering the content. Yeah, you know, and and it still, you know, can provide you with some upside on content. And and, and that's if we use it more um, thoughtfully, I guess, is the way to put it, um, because it can help inform different content paths that you probably haven't thought about. Um, you know, it's, um, I think we as marketers, we kind of get into these, because we're trying to move so fast, we get into these ruts on how we think about content. It's very logical process you know when we're trying to help buyers logically move you know in see you know in, in this kind of sequence toward you know from status quo to decision um I, I i think there are ways of using chat gpt to help inform um us on other opportunities for content or other topics for content instead of you know that might tap into maybe more of the emotional side of buyers, right? So yeah. that's kind of how we're looking at it. I love that. I love that. Uh, anything else before we move on on, you know, trends next? next yeah, time? you know, I think the only other thing, you know, is in, in my mind heavily is when you kind of associate that data literacy with how to utilize that data literacy. And so I do see, you know, 2023 being a really good time for, marketing organizations to do much better at aligning strategically to the business um, because you do have access to data sources and you do have tools and platforms that can really help you gain better insights around your buyers. Um, and, you know, because I, I think the marketers are really focused on execution. And so um, we actually do a really great job quite often on the operational side of marketing, but how do we position marketing as a contributor to revenue? You yeah. only do that through aligning, you know, more strategically to the business. And so that to me means if you haven't, you know, if you haven't gotten your platforms to the point where you're looking at opportunity data, looking at conversion data, and then creating more of a, you know, a perspective around that, then you, you are, you know, that's definitely an opportunity that you should look at because a lot of, you know, that's where data literacy is leading us is to become more strategic and, and revenue oriented. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we mentioned this last time we talked, but we've come a long way as marketers. Like at least we get that we need to be there, but it's not, you know, perfect. And, and there's still room to go to, to make sure that that's really clear at the, the revenue that marketing can help drive. Yeah, because we kind of default to our strengths a lot, right? And so we need, you and I talked about this, it's it's good to put ourselves in uncomfortable situations. Uh, for those out there, uh, Travis and I don't like being, you know, this side of the camera, right? We, we, this is, this is uncomfortable for us, because we like to be out there doing and, and those kinds of things. But it's really important that marketers share information and share ideas. So I really appreciate you, Travis, for putting me in such an uncomfortable position today. Well, I appreciate you being willing to join me because me going by myself live is not going to be as interesting for many people, I hope. Uh, anyway, so 
this is there's transitioning a little bit. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I I've I've known you for about I've probably 15 years almost now. You know, it's been a bit. Um, and you've had a you've had a lot of experience on like in-house marketing teams, leading those. Um, you've also done a lot of consulting and working at agencies as kind of that strategic uh, you know, voice or partner or consultant. Um, I'd love your take on, you know, in 2023, marketing teams are trying to get stuff done. They potentially, especially in the tech world, have fewer resources. They don't have as many in-house people as they once did. What, what do they look for? You know, how do you, how do you balance that? Uh, you know, and, and you, you've got the agency experience, you've got the in-house experience. When do those work the best? Like, talk to me, I'd love, I'd love your take on, on how people can do that effectively. Marketing teams can really engage the right resources. Yeah, I, that's a, this is a really great topic, um, Travis, because, you know, um, there's, there's the, the marketer's job is never done, right? It's like, it's, it's so amazing. Uh, whenever someone asks me, you know, you busy today? And I, I said, I could work 24 seven, like my job never ends. I can always be doing something. And so when you, when you think about that, and then also the expectations on marketing these days is, is pretty extreme. And so, but we also know that our budgets are not unlimited. Right. So I, in fact, I've started writing this book, but I don't know that I'll ever finish um, um, but it's, it's called quantum marketing. It's all about, you know, and how it's, it's impossible. Quantum marketing is impo- impossible, but what happens a lot of times is marketers are very reactive to all of the demands, right. Of, of the business. You have people asking us to do this campaign or that campaign, and we need this information. And so we could be kind of caught up in this kind of whirlwind of chaos, Um, And so um, as, as, you know, on the client side, first of all, with that pressure of performing and never having uh, nothing to do, um, it's, it's really important to start looking maybe at the micro components of what creates revenue from a marketing perspective. And so um, DemandSpring, we're a revenue marketing consultancy. We really get in there and try to find ways of aligning marketing practice and execution to revenue. So when you look at all of the elements that are required in these modern times for marketers to do that, there are about seven key areas that we have responsibility over. And that if we can, if we look at those seven areas at a macro level, it can feel very unattainable. And so, and this is what I advise and coach and counsel every day is you got to, you got to eliminate the friction. You've got to simplify. And the only way you can take this massive idea of these seven areas or components that make up solid revenue marketing, um, the only way that you can really tackle that efficiently and effectively is by breaking it down into these micro areas. So measure your maturity in these areas. So I'm not going to list all seven out. If you want to know them, you might want to come talk to me. Um, But basically it's a lot of core principles. Like you have your messaging positioning, you have buyer and customer engagement, you have digital systems, data. I mean, just KPIs, 
all I just about listed them all already, but you also have how your operating model, how, how are you orchestrating all of this? Again, at a macro level, it can feel very daunting, but at a micro level, you can measure your level of maturity and you will be able to identify these steps that you need to take to get you there. Now, to align all this to your question, which is, I know I'm very long-winded on this. I love this. But to align to your question, um, as a client on the client side, as a marketer, if I'm able to understand what my maturity level is across those seven areas, I'll quickly identify the gaps, gaps in resourcing, both from a talent perspective, as well as a financial or funding perspective. But I can really identify those gaps. And let's talk about data for just as a part of that. Data is usually a very, a very big pinch point to effective marketing. And if your data is off or wrong or not working, nothing works. Yeah. I've seen organizations that I look at them and say their data is so poor that if they stopped executing altogether, they would, they would never be missed, right? Because they're, they're unable to really align and so, but anyway, if you look at those, those seven areas, you're able as a marketing leader, you're able to identify where your gaps are. And those are the opportunities to bring in talent and expertise where you may not have it today. And so it can be strategically led, but it can also be operationally, meaning then that if you know you have an operational gap, maybe that's an indicator that you need to hire you know, an operational expert in one of those areas that can be a tech side expert on admin or, you know, or data. Um, but it could also be we're missing, you know, a strategic mind that's going to be able to put all this together. Now, those resources all have different price tags, right? And so it's really, it's quite easy at that point to decide where do we outsource and then where, what do we need to pull in-house or really own ourselves found, uh, fundamentally and foundationally? And you can start making some of those decisions. Um, an agency like ours with DemandSpring, you know, we thrive at really helping marketers elevate. And so we don't do things where we're going to be kind of your in-house for the rest of your life. <laughs> we like to trans, uh, transfer knowledge experience and information to really help marketers to step up and be able to deliver that on their their own and i know that was a pitch i probably shouldn't have pitched it but it's it's really you know it's it's really a good way to think about um adding resources to your stack yeah i love that break it down into those like micro things measure how how well or effective you're doing at that and then go find the things that would be the best fit to to plug those gaps that you may have. Um, I do think like there's this evolution in marketing where you're gonna have a lot of generalists that are really good at you know pulling everything together and they're gonna be in-house and you are gonna go find those experts in the specialties you need, whether it's an agency or consultant or whatever, to, to just take it to that next level, um, especially for small businesses too. I mean, they, they, they can't have a, uh, an expert in every role. They just can't. Yeah. Right. It used to be there was a time when you could say, yeah, I'm a marketing expert, right? Because it was like creating T-shirts and coffee mugs and a couple of emails. Yeah. Um, but now to be a marketing expert, I think that's impossible. 
Right. Um, we are very specialized. Marketing has become very specialized. Like, for example, deliverability. You know, deliverability to me, and this is right down your alley, right? Because you understand that side of, of marketing automation and email communications. But deliverability to me is highly specialized. And in fact, um, a resource to really give you the deliverability chops you, you need to be effective over the long term has personal relationships with ISPs all over the world. How many people do you know have personal relationships with global ISPs? I only know of one guy in, in the country and his name is Chris Arendale, right? And so he's probably listening, um, but Chris is amazing. And if you ever need to really understand deliverability and help get help so that your communications actually land where they're supposed to land. He's the kind of guy that can help you swing that because of his relationships and his expertise. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, shift gears again for a second. I, uh, I worked with you um, pretty early in my career. And one of the things I loved is you always had anybody that's listening to this, they get this because they're, they're feeling it right now, but you always had thoughts and ways to like push me out of my comfort zone to help me think uh, about things in a new way, kind of expand my mind, right? I always felt like I was learning and growing when I was working with you. And I think uh, that's so important for people early in their career to really have those people that that drive them and, and motivate them and help them. Um, so I'd love to just hear your thoughts. Like, I know that that was intentional. You didn't just do that, you know, haphazardly. You, you we're helping me grow. How, how, what is your philosophy? What are your thoughts? What are the things that you try to accomplish when you're mentoring someone, especially those early career marketers? Yeah, that's a really great question um, too, because, you know, as a marketer, I, you know, um, I did a lot of self-learning and so it was a, it felt like kind of a long an arduous process of gaining the information experience. I mean, we're, we weren't as lucky as people are today and just having vast amounts of information at our fingertips, right? Like there was no LinkedIn, there was no, you know, any of this stuff to, to really support, you know, that learning process. Um, and so um, as a, I guess, as a, as a marketer earlier in my career, I knew how hard it was for me to just figure it out. And so I have, I have always made it a priority in every job that I've had of being able to transfer knowledge. Um, and, and in fact, I like probably mentoring young marketers more than I like executing any kind of marketing, you know, activity. Um, I enjoy my client conversations. I mean, I really thrive on sitting with clients, understanding their business and helping them solve those problems. But I like even more sitting with young marketers who are hungry to learn and to give them ideas. Um, and, and a lot of it is quite honest, Travis, is I learn as much by being a mentor as, as they do, because these thoughts that they come to the table with are all fresh. Um, a lot of them are very fresh. They may not have um, the experience to apply that knowledge mm -hmm. and information, but they definitely have fresh ideas and I learn from them. Um, I have a couple of, you know, several young marketers in my organization right now that my weekly meetings with them are more important to me than even my client calls uh, because I'm learning, they're learning, 
and we come up with ideas together. So, you know, the mentoring is to me, it's just, you know, it's, it's just something I love to do and how I often do it is I like to put, do like what you're doing to me, putting me in an uncomfortable place because I'm growing right now. I'm learning. Um, and so I do that with young marketers, um, I, but I give them a safe place. Yeah, I think that's really important, right? Don't put them, you know, on stage in lights when they're unprepared. Um, so within our practice at DemandSpring, I'm responsible for delivering all client strategic services. I have our young marketers be primarily responsible for building out everything that we're doing, like hands-on. They represent all of that back to me. I poke holes in it. You know, and I actually ask them to deliver it to me as if I were the client. Yeah. And it's a great learning experience for them. They gain confidence really quick. Um, and then I don't delay very long between that effort of them delivering in that safe space to then pushing them into the spotlight and giving them those opportunities to really showcase their capabilities. Um, I, I think that's just super important because that is where they gain the confidence is when they're in front of the client or in front of leadership, yeah. really presenting something important. Yeah. Well, you're a great mentor. I, I, I was, as you were talking, I was just thinking back to our team at Market Start and uh, all of us that were, <laughs> were definitely on your team, but we're more junior. Um, everybody's been really successful. Like, Isn't it crazy? Uh, it is amazing, and and uh, I think that's just a mark of a, a very impactful uh, mentor and leader. So, you know, on behalf of all of them, thank you because it it definitely changed my career when I you know got to work with you, and and I know that that that's probably true for a lot of people. So. Well, I appreciate that, and I was reminiscing about that myself. Um, just the, but you know, when I think about it, though, um, when I hire. I make sure I hire the right people because, you know, there are, you know, you've got to know where your passions lie and what your strengths are. I even remember with you, you know, we initially brought you in to do something real specific, right? That, um, but I saw this thing in you where I saw that you're really comfortable with technology, that you were super comfortable with data. And I'm like, I have, I know where to point this capability right you had the capacity to grow and to learn so much and so by just like pointing you in a direction it was like i had it, it was easy for me right it was super easy for me i mean i'm thinking about that i mean there are there are business owners out of that group that you know at market from market star there are business owners founders incredibly uh successful founders we have cmos mm -hmm. We have vice presidents of marketing in that group. Um, I, I and it and it starts with some mentoring, but really, it's it's really turning, just lighting the fire under the passion is really what it's all about. Because that's all I did with you. That's all I've done with others. Is just like understand what it is that's making you that creates that passion inside of you. Just helping ignite it and step away. <laughs> um I didn't even know marketing automation existed before I started market start. I mean, it was the early days and uh, yeah, I was, I remember like you gave me that safe place, safe place to, to grow. And I appreciate that. Um, you know, on the, on the flip side, 
who was that for you? What, you know, who was influential in pointing you in your career? Like, I'm sure that's, uh, you know, somebody that's made a difference for you as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I thought about this a little bit. Um, there's a guy by the name of Brian Carroll. Um, now, Brian Carroll was just this uh, persona out on the the new internet. I mean, I was still, I was still like uh, maybe 2,400 baud modems back then, right? Where you have to be really patient to pull something off the internet of value. But I, you know, I was, uh, my, my trajectory, my path into marketing started in sales. And there, Brian Carroll was this prolific blog, blog, blogger that posted on marketing and really engaging effectively with potential buyers. So he was way beyond his, er, way early in his time. Um, and, and so, but I started reading everything he had post. And um, it was it was kind of amazing, you know, that it just really it, it's actually what caused me to decide I need to get out of sales and be more of a marketing person because I, I understood that I was more passionate in that area. Um, and so Brian Carroll, he now um, has his own firm. He's actually leading, in my view, some incredible innovation around uh, empathetic marketing. Um, again, it goes back, we talked about this a bit ago about, you know, we as marketers do a pretty good job of helping think through kind of the logic of moving someone off of status quo into making a decision. Yeah. They're very logical that, but he, he has really elevated around empathy. So instead of creating marketing messages that say, Hey, we know what your pain points are and here's how to solve for them. It's more of, we know what your pain points are. We know how to solve them and then add the empathy. And I know that it's it's creating a lot of difficulty in your life, in your career. And here is something just for you that will help you get better at doing that. That, yeah. that makes sense? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, he does a great job. Look him up, um, do a quick search on LinkedIn. Brian Carroll is awesome. And by the way, um, I have a friend, Carlos Hidalgo, who he, um, he knows, he knew Brian Carroll personally, right? I didn't know, uh, Carlos invited me in Colorado to go hiking the collegiates, you know, the, the, the largest, you know, mountains in the world and, uh, or some of the largest, yeah. and, uh, in Colorado. And I get, out, I get out of the, um, off the airplane and I'm walking toward the gate and there's, there's Carlos and Brian standing there. And I just walk right past Carlos, my friend of, you know, 15, 20 years. And I just gave Brian Carroll a big hug because I felt like I'm for the first time met this guy who really gave me this view of a career that I wanted to make a part of, you know, my life and my experience. That's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, that's great. Well, Tracy, uh, there's so many more things we could talk about. I know that uh, we'll we'll have to have you come back, do this again in the fall or something, and uh, uh, you know dive into some of those other things we talked about going into. But I really appreciate the time you spent today, and and uh, just you know appreciate your friendship and your mentorship and everything that you you mean a lot to me, and I I appreciate everything that you do. Well, thanks, Travis. The feelings are mutual. You you'll forever be one of my favorite. Um, new marketers um, just because of what you did with it. But uh, our friendship, you know, it'll last forever. So 
thank you for the time today. Okay. Thanks. We'll talk again soon. All right. Bye.